Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb. And I'm Terrell. And today, we're Dangerously Likely to talk about the election results. So, before we jump into results, I have a what if, per usual. Well, wow. better than your what if about the Hummer EV, because that was not a good one. Um, wow. <laughs> so... Because I've been singing High School Musical nonstop all day for whatever reason. Someone please help me. <laughs> I have a great voice. Thank you. Um, for I'm all correct. the listeners out there, they definitely know I have a great voice as they listen to it constantly. False. Well, if what if you were able to have like a soundtrack to your life? What would be like the main song that plays the most? Like what's that one one beat you always got? What would be your happy song? And then what would be like the really downer, depressed, like, oh, something didn't work out song? So three songs. Trell, I only have one clarification question. All right. Could That's you please, less than normal. Could you please use that question in a sentence? I did. <laughs> that was a sentence. <laughs> what if... <laughs> Okay. What if you yep. were in a movie and you got to have a soundtrack to your life? Got to have a soundtrack. Wait, what is so your we, theme song? Are we talking about actual soundtrack music or just music in general? Up to interpretation. But what's your theme song? For sad and happy. No. Like what's your actual theme song? Like what's oh. that, that song that plays to start off every day? And then what is the happy song and what is the sad song? I'm going to start with the sad song because okay. one popped into my head, whereas nothing popped into my head for the other two, which <laughs> might be concerning. Stay tuned. Um, <laughs> uh, Valentine's Day by Linkin Park. Ooh, good song choice. Yeah. If you don't know what that is, look it up. It's very, it's a sad song. It's a pretty, it's a it's pretty, pretty sad, sad song. song. Um, I feel like I'm going to start with, I'm going to do a happy song now. What is a happy song? <laughs> Are you okay? Do we need to take a break from this podcast and have a different kind of conversation? Honestly, these aren't permanent answers. I just want to yeah, let no. the audience know. It can change. Happy song, I'm in between um, I'm in between Imagination by Foster the People. Hmm. Just because that song's been in my playlist for a really long time. And I still think it's really great, especially for happy summer vibes. Um, and also thinking about the song Sunflower Seeds by Bryce Vine. I don't know what it is about that song, but I love it. It's very chill. Very chill, happy vibe. I don't know if you know that song or not. I do not, but I I trust you because most of your music tastes we agree on, so. Uh, You know what we should do? We should add a playlist. That is this? Happy songs, theme songs, and sad songs. I already have one of those playlists, so you can jump on mine. Oh, I was talking about for the podcast, so everyone knows Um, what makes us cry when we're alone. Fair. (laughs) I don't cry when I'm alone. Same. What are emotions? (laughs) I don't do that either. Anyways. (laughs) Oh, God. Theme song, Um, though. Theme song for me would be... Wow, you just skipped me. Oh, I thought you had already done your theme song. My no, bad. that was my happy song. My choices. bad. Go for it. Go for it. No, you go first. I don't know what my theme song is. I, I need to make sure I'm saying the song name right. So I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Theme song. Hmm. Hmm. I wish I had access to the questions before the interview. <laughs> no. 
What's a classic? I love the song. For some reason, the song always pops to my head, even though I haven't listened to it for a while. But I still am in love with the song Sweater Weather by The Neighborhood. Oh, great song. So I'm going to throw that one down. That's a good one. Yeah, I think so, too. I can do mine a lot faster than yours, so I'll just hop into it. Theme song. <laughs> for our viewers, I was visibly upset by his comment. <laughs> Very visibly. Um, theme song um, is Everybody Going Crazy by Nothing But Thieves. Oh, I love that song. Such a good song. That new album is so good. So good. But also, it it's just defining my life at this point. So I think it fits. Um, sad song, What Goes Around. Is it What Goes Around Comes Around? Yeah, What Goes Around Comes Around by Justin Timberlake. <laughs> Oldie but a goodie. Um, anytime I was in a mood, that was my go-to song when I was younger. And happy song is Laugh Now, Cry Later by Drake. Oh, I like that song. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Very like a weird range of songs. That's a very interesting range. Very much fits when I'm happy. Like I think yeah. that song's lyrics fit. Like, am I actually happy or am I just holding back tears? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but when I'm when I'm having a bad day, it's definitely what goes around comes around. Revenge type moment. It's never like uh, I'm sad moment. You know, another. You're you're reminding me here. I might oh. add another sad song to my list real okay. quick. There's um, a lot of sad songs. I'm actually starting to get concerned. Look, this is just off the top of my head. Folks, if I had my playlist in front of me, I'd name off many. All right, Joe Biden with the <laughs> folks. Come on, man. It's half past. Come on, man. Um, it's a bunch of malarkey. That is. <laughs> um, since you mentioned nothing but thieves, the song I'm Sorry by them. It's actually just sorry, but yes. Oh, fuck. <laughs> This is an explicit recording. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry by nothing but thieves. Do you want a fun story about that song? Sure. <laughs> so it's another Terrell love story or love life story. Another Terrell love life story. I think our viewer, to our viewers, I'm, this is the first one. Yeah, for you, this is it. I've been blessed with many love life stories <laughs> from Terrell, so I'm very excited to see where this takes us. They all get progressively disappointing each time. Um <laughs> So there was an ex that um, we started seeing each other while we were in college, both graduated and I started traveling. Things didn't work out Um, when we were trying to determine if we wanted to continue seeing each other and doing long distance. I ironically sent them the song Sorry by Nothing But Thieves because it defined our relationship the best. (laughs) I'm going to have to think about that one for a while. It was bad. Sounds like there's a lot to unpack. It was bad. And if that person is listening to this podcast right now, um, I'm sorry that you (laughs) sent Nice pun, am I right? (laughs) Should I get a sound effect that does that? We should. So Terrell, what are uh, the headlines from this past week? Honestly, the headlines are the election, Caleb. That that is the headline right now. Okay, so then I only have one single question for you, Terrell. Uh huh. What was your reaction to uh, the news networks calling Joe Biden on Saturday morning? Um, being honest, I didn't even know it happened until almost four or five o'clock. 
Well, let me rephrase <laughs> that. I knew it happened, but I didn't have time to process because I was working and doing other things. Um, On a Saturday, ooh, <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Why are you like this? I hurt you. All of the things. Um, but my honest initial reaction was, did something go catastrophically wrong because multiple people, yourself included, immediately texted me after the news and went, are you okay? What's happening? So my self being involved in other things and not being able to process in the moment Mm -hmm. genuinely was concerned that a war had broken out and I was just so ignorant to the news that it wasn't there. Um, But I will take this moment to um, issue an apology to our IG live viewers and our listeners because I did make some projections early specifically in pennsylvania looking at counties and different spaces where i did not believe or think that joe biden was going to carry the state um and lead in the election and i was wrong and i'm happy that i was wrong so that's my reaction that's awesome what's yours yeah so funny that you didn't see it for like literally the whole day (laughs) i or process it anyways so i was up pretty late the night before. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember what I was doing, if I'm being honest. But I woke up around, I woke up to my friend Maddie Brady, shout out to Maddie Brady, she's great, um, calling me. And <laughs> sorry, Maddie, I woke up to your call. I intentionally ignored your call <laughs> because I was, I knew I had stayed up late the night before. And I was like, are you kidding? And I like, was trying to go back to sleep and then i like sat there for a moment and i was like hmm and i looked at my phone and literally one minute ago first one i saw was from politico joe biden's won the race and i was like holy shit and i was immediately (laughs) awake and i called maddie i called her back she can testify to that um had to invite her on to the next podcast that's an (laughs) accurate statement (laughs) (laughs) yes i'm known to make baseless claims um just a few (laughs) And I was just, um, I was just happy. I, you know, there's a lot, and a lot of people have said this, and I'll just, I'll just repeat it because I think it's, it's true. There's a lot that needs to be done, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of big problems and stuff, but my gosh, I just took the weekend as a weekend to just kind of like be happy. Yeah. That like, like pending all the dumb lawsuits and stuff from the Trump campaign. Mm-hmm that the future of the country is looking a little better than it did the last four years. Is it though? Well, we can more go more into that, but to me, I think, I think Biden's, it's just a, it's just nicer. I don't know. It's better to me. Yeah. And I like, I don't know. I was just kind of on social. I immediately go to Twitter, which is yeah. probably a bad response. And what? Twitter's great. Twitter's Twitter can be great, but for the most part, I think it's toxic. It's normally funny. There's some, at least a few good memes. Well, my feed was filled with like people just happy. And I was scenes of people celebrating across the country. And I thought that was that was a pretty cool coming together moment. But something that kind of struck me um, was Joe Biden released a video mm-hmm. on his social media. And the video was basically america the beautiful yeah it was america the beautiful um the song was by ray charles it was his rendition Mm -hmm. um 
and it was just it was showing Americans through different jobs, different cultures, different races, just different places geographically, even across the country, and they were all holding up frames. And it was basically just a moment of America won. And I watched Joe Biden's speech and Kamala Harris's speech. Um, and what really struck me, what really struck me about, about how everything was set up along with that video was I actually found Joe Biden to be very humble in that moment. Mm -hmm. When a president wins, it's usually about Joe Biden. It would be about him. And of course it's about him. You know, he's, he's the, pre he was called the president, right? But he, the first thing he did was send out a video that was just of Americans. It didn't even mention him. Mm -hmm. It was just Ray Charles's rendition of America the Beautiful with Americans across the country. And then even like, it's not normal. It's not normal for vice presidents to even like be that much in the spotlight. Yeah. And he gave Kamala Harris over 10 minutes of speaking time for her speech before him. Mm -hmm. And Kamala Harris is a great speaker and Joe Biden has a stutter. And I think we should all like understand that about him, but like Kamala, he put Kamala Harris, like he knew Kamala Harris might be able to have a better speech than him, like show him up almost. Mm -hmm. And he put her in the spotlight and then did a speech like normal, but that's not normal for vice presidents to even have a speech. Really. They're that's not true. really in the spotlight. And I just, what that, what that said to me was that this campaign, Joe Biden, it's not really about Joe Biden. It's about all of us. Mm -hmm. It's about all of us. And then it's about the accomplishments, um, like of Kamala Harris, the first black woman, the first, um, woman of sub of Southern Asian descent yep. it, to be in the white house, to be a vice president. And I, I shared with you too. I think I really appreciated the the campaign's decision. I don't know if it's still the campaign transition team, whichever um, you want to lean on. Decision to use Ray Charles' rendition of "America the Beautiful" because there's so much history behind that song. Oh my god! Um, specifically for Ray Charles, for those of you who don't know. Um, in the lead up to him creating that song, I had to do some quick fact checking just to make sure I'm not crazy. Um, but in the lead up to him recording that song, it, he was also embodied in uh, the worst of America coming off of um, the state of Georgia, essentially blackballing him and not letting him do Georgia on my mind because he was an African-American and he wanted to, uh, sing the song with other African-Americans able to come in and obviously race the whole thing. Um, but he still took the space and time to record and speak to the hope and uh, aspiration for what America could be with America the Beautiful and give it some changes. I, I The song I know we've all sung over years, but Ray Charles' rendition is so much more soulful in my personal opinion. Oh, I agree. And uh, even uh, another fun fact from that time, what uh, about 10 years before he recorded the song, um, the state assembly refused to seat an African-American um, who won their seat. It, it took the Supreme Court to step in to seat him. So there's just that song for me personally, knowing a little bit of Ray Charles history, knowing the, the significance of the song, 
was so impactful of a, a moment of recognition and representation that I don't think I personally don't feel um, has been reflected on so much. I, I think the campaign did an amazing job to not only show every American and do the picture frames and highlight the beauty of America, but also own the fact that there's a lot of things that uh, are bubbling just underneath the surface that we have to tackle, but there's still this hope from, from ancestors and from um, individuals who've struggled that there is still beauty in this thing that we call America. Yeah. You know, um, I'll admit that when I watched that video, it made me a little, it, it made me a little emotional. I got a little teary eyed. I, I, Give me a video of just different people um, played with like a soulful song like that, that just kind of screams, this is a community. This mm -hmm. is us. That'll, that'll get me a little bit emotional. I think almost every time, but you know, something that just kind of all of it, how I was feeling during the whole day and on Sunday too, really is I just, America is such a weird country <laughs> to me. What do you mean? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if anybody knows of, um, I don't know what the hockey team is. It's um, Philadelphia. Flyers. The Flyers. Pretty sure. With uh, <laughs> with Gritty, Gritty as their mascot, which is like this weird monster. I don't even know what it is, to be honest. But it's just a, <laughs> just watching it's just the the count every vote protests on um, on the more left side with gritty in it, just like dancing around. I don't know why that was just America's such a weird place. That was my example. Or the fact that everyone was holding up signs that we can only have one orange monster in this country, and I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> I don't, how I don't how know are we here? <laughs> gritty is ingrained into the culture of Philadelphia, and I don't it know is. why. Yes, <laughs> I don't know why. Because the people there are gritty. They're all, tell Donald Trump it was me. That was, <laughs> that was gritty. That was one of my favorite memes, I won't lie. <laughs> Just the silhouette and picture of... Um, um, why can't I think of the name of the show now? Game of, Th Game of Thrones. Game, yes, of Game of Thrones. <laughs> Just until Donald <laughs> Trump, it was me. It was funny. I laughed. Um, but at the end of the day, this country to me has simultaneously so much hope, yet so much despair at the same time. Right? But <laughs> I don't know. Saturday made me feel hopeful. Feel like, it made me feel like there was so much hope in that moment. I was gonna, I was gonna actually say, I think we are a great example of that because I, I, we've talked about this, and I know you, you found that hope, and you, you're encouraged. But I personally can't help but reflect that the now number two candidate to win the most votes in American history is still Donald J. Trump, and there's still this. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> there's I. I appreciate and I agree. I think there's hope. And I know um, you want to dive into their speeches a little bit. And I do think there's a lot of things to take out of both Kamala Harris and Joe Biden's speech. That is just, it made me emotional. And we will do that to the folks out there. But I can't, I can't ignore and neglect the fact that there are still 70 million people who decided that 
defund the police and Black Lives Matter was a big enough issue that they couldn't support Joe Biden, who never said he would defund the police, who who had the courage to say Black Lives Matter while still having major police unions support him at the end of the day. I, I can't ignore the fact that 70 million people still to an extent voted against people of my descent, people of my color who believe that America is a is in a post post racial space while we still see an unequal justice system. We still see discrepancy or despairs disparities um, in COVID response and healthcare and just all of these components. So yes, I appreciate that that optimism that you can bring to me because I tend to favor the less optimistic route. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's like like it's pretty obvious to I think both of us. I think mm-hmm. I can speak for both of us when I say that like the division in the country isn't just solved because one person, one president. It's yeah. still very there. And even if Trump isn't there, which I actually I found ironic, Trump wasn't mentioned at all in the speeches. He was not in the in Joe Biden's and Kamala's speeches. And to be honest, I completely forgot about him. Mm-hmm. Like I like even though we were talking about president elect and election and all that. I completely forgot that Donald Trump existed when I was listening to those speeches, mm-hmm. which is just kind of like Donald Trump is going to be there. Uh, there's a lot of headlines out right now that says he's the leader of the GOP. He's definitely making a point to be there, whether people want him there or not. And we can go into that a little deeper. Mm-hmm. But for kind of that moment, it was almost like he was fading into the background. Yeah. And I think that's, I think there's a little bit more value to that then um yeah i just think it should be pointed out but i at the at the same time you got 70 million people that voted for trump probably i think it's a little bit over 70 million by this point but now i think the projection is biden's gonna get over 80 really like 81 million really isn't that insane interesting which i again we'll we'll, talk about polls later well that that might not happen but He's pretty close. I He's think. at 75, maybe. Maybe 76. Well, I saw it at a reputable news source that I don't remember the name of. If you haven't heard, news organizations don't elect presidents. People elect presidents in this country, <laughs> Caleb. So I don't care about this news organization that you're touting here. They don't know anything. I voted, not them. Well, let me rephrase that. I voted, not the organization. The people who report the news definitely did vote, but yeah. <laughs> not to be like disprove anyone's facts or anything that they're throwing out there. Um, I just think I, it's going to be a long time. I mean, Joe Biden mentioned this is a moment for this country to heal. Mm-hmm. And while I agree, I'm. it's going to be a long time before this country heals. And what does healing mean even? <laughs> I, you know, I'm not 100% sure. We're always going to disagree with each other. You know, I think some issues warrant warrant some of the some of the divisiveness, like maybe your views on race. Mm-hmm. But um, at the same time, I feel like I feel like all of us have just forgotten that it's okay if we disagree with someone on one thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's okay to like someone still if yeah. we dis- disagree on what, even if we disagree on one thing. It's okay. It's okay to still like talk to someone, yeah, without screaming. I would also like to point out, I stand corrected. Joe Biden currently has 77 
we'll say 0.1 if we round up million votes compared to Donald Trump's 72.2 if you round up. Hell yeah. Wow. Crazy. Um, and we still have votes coming in, so I might be right. Still have votes coming in. Um, so, Terrell, I kind of want to dive into the speeches a little bit more, and we got a few clips from you. Um, let's talk about... Let's kind of go back to talking a little bit about the inclusiveness of not only his campaign, but the speech itself. Mm -hmm. um, and here's the clip. And all those who supported us, I'm proud of the campaign we built and ran. I'm proud of the coalition we put together, the broadest and most diverse coalition in history. Democrats, Republicans, independents, progressives, moderates, conservatives, young, old, urban, suburban, rural, gay, straight, transgender, white, Latino, Asian, Native American. I mean it, especially for those moments, and especially for those moments when this campaign was at its lowest ebb. The African-American community stood up again for me. You've always had my back, and I'll have yours. I said at the outset, I wanted to represent this campaign to represent and look like America. We've done that. So what did you think about that? <laughs> that was the that was the piece I was talking about. And so I'll actually I'll I'll tell a small story here. So when Joe Biden and Kamala Harris spoke, I was actually at Albertson's um, off Broadway. Bar restaurant thing. Oh, the, Broadway on the Rocks. Broadway on the Rocks. Thank you. Fantastic. Um, I was there with some colleagues, and uh, the games were playing, obviously, and um, all the channels went to the speeches. Every single channel. Yeah, I saw news notifications that earlier in the day. I was actually at dinner, so I watched the speeches later that night. Mm -hmm. But um, there was actually, I saw that NBC was going to air the speech, the acceptance speeches. NBC, ABC. In the middle of the Notre Dame-Clemson game, which yep. is a huge game, by the way, if anyone we Went into double overtime, even. In Notre Dame won, right? Yeah. ESPN even cut to it for a hot second, I'm pretty sure. Wow. Um, that's kind of insane. That's just the level, that's the level of importance of this election. But here's the fun part about that. As we're sitting there um, watching them, every, people are a little irritated because they were into the football game. Uh, well, and we're in Idaho, so everyone here voted for Trump and was like, what the hell? A lady got up and asked them to change the channel. And <laughs> they're like, this is the game. <laughs> and uh, the the wait staff changed every single TV and said, we're just playing the game. We're not making any calls. We're what not channel is still part. playing the game? Uh, I think they had to go to like ESPN3 or something. Like it was ESPN3? It was rough. Boycott ESPN3. <laughs> Um, but like, it, I think that's a part of the reason why I, I struggled to have that optimism because that was a moment that was very clear of you, you didn't vote for him and that's fine. I like, especially, we can have a different conversation about that, especially in Idaho too, but you can't ignore the fact that this is a moment that your, your future president, your president elect is speaking and there's. There's some sense of you should at least listen or like leave one TV on. And it put the yeah. workers of Albertsons in such a weird spot that they literally turned off every TV. They just, it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, 
so I, I appreciate so much that Joe Biden was able to speak to and acknowledge the fact that Wayne County, Philadelphia County, Atlanta, places with minority populations took their states as if it was, this is a fun, fun little analogy for you, as if it was Russ throwing a Hail Mary pass in a fourth quarter. And just, <laughs> Are you talking about Russell Wilson from the Seattle Seahawks? You're welcome. Let Russ cook, You're am welcome. I right? <laughs> Although they lost, a, they played really bad in, like against the, uh, the Bills. They always play bad. Well, um, six and two, so what are the Detroit Lions again? It's okay, okay we, what are we right we now? We can I talk about like it later. I feel like we're like at 50%. No, I think we lost two games straight. I don't know. Anyway. Makes sense. Um, <laughs> but I appreciate that he spoke to all of the spaces and all of the people and ethnic groups and, and just entrenched. Transgender, transgender people, gay folks, people, LGBTQ, just this coalition that he was able to build. I'm so, I, as an African-American male, I'm so appreciative that there was a moment of recognition. And I, I even think to um, um, Van Jones on CNN oh, yeah. when the when the numbers were finally called, Van Jones physically broke down on CNN. That. And I, him and I disagree on certain things, and I, I think he performs a little bit sometimes. But what he said before he started crying was so accurate and honest. There are people in this country who went into that election booth voting because of who they like, but also voting because they had fear that the other candidate and the other party could lead to harm being done to them. And I, I kind of want to touch on that real quick, Terrell. Um, you know, there's a lot of people mainly white people who they're not necessarily wrong, but I think they missed the point. And they've been, a lot of white people have been saying, wow, black and brown people have literally saved us. <laughs> and like, we did, we did save you. <laughs> yes. But I also missed the point. Yeah. I think they also missed the point about that because the past president has been causing real harm, whether through, police or just rhetoric or been causing real harm to those communities. So white people all here are just kind of taking and grant taking granted for it. Who won um, um, Congressman John Lewis's seat? Uh, what is her name? I can't think of her off the top of my head right now. She worked in his office, but oh yeah, um, I, yeah I know who you're talking about. I just don't remember the name. I'll find it at some point in pop it back up. But I, I think she did. She explained it the best of um, one. Yes. Black and brown people saved this country. So they saved it because they needed. It exactly. It wasn't a we're doing this for you. It was we have to protect us. We know yeah. we recognize that if we don't protect us, no one else is going to. And I, I appreciate you bringing that to the forefront of there needs to be some onus and some some space to uh, wherever you fall on your ide ideological mind, um, some space that BIPOC people showed up and said, this is the direction this country needs to go, not for y'all, but for us and show that there is some power behind that. There's, there is a, an energy and an activism that can genuinely lead and move forward. The Reverend at um, in Detroit said it, 
probably the most blatantly of we went from picking con to picking presidents. That is the truth. You can't ignore the fact that BIPOC people have given so much to this country and uh, not to call out my more liberal friends, but <laughs> I, I think to them too of the white liberal tends to see our system as disparaging, as hopeless, as needing to be torn completely down and rebuilt, rebuilt. But I think this election very much proved that who they're, who they think they're doing it for. We don't want that. We don't want the system to be completely torn down. We want the system to be equitable. We want the system to be what it was supposed to be and designed that way. And if that means we have to come together and do the work and, and show y'all who needs to be in certain spaces, we can do that. But there has to be some moment where the BIPOC people aren't the ones, aren't the only ones in the space trying to shout to the mountaintop. There has to be a moment where the mountaintop is shouting back down and saying, come up here with us. I mean, let's just think about how Joe Biden got here. Remember when he wasn't supposed to win those primaries and he was doing really bad? Shout out to Clyburn. (laughs) Clyburn and all the black Americans that voted for him in droves over everybody else. Yeah. And people were upset about it, but the people who were upset about it were notably white people. Yep. <laughs> South Carolina. Because Joe Biden wasn't going to burn the system. No. He was going to fix it. He was going to, he's going to be the, hopefully, he's going <laughs> to be the steady hand that, I don't want to put the pressure on him that he fixes it, but he moves it closer to normal than it's been in the last four and a half years. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah, to your point, I think, I think that is all something that needs to be considered and needs to be thought about of the democratic party even has been very much held to the fire lately of its thought and respect towards black and brown people who tend to vote for them mm-hmm. and this belief that th- it's a voting block that's a monolith that's always going to show up and, and, and. Um, but it's not. And I think I think Hillary Clinton to Joe Biden shows that, again, when we get into polls, we can really hash this part out. But there has to be a moment where the Democratic Party reasserts what Big Tent means There has to be a moment where if the Republican Party intends to survive for years, it it either owns its past and the more racially divided Democratic Party back in history, or it has a real honest moment that winning an election by threatening a group of people will not work. And that's another reason I... I'm skeptical to be excited about this election because I don't think that message translated. Yeah. Whether Joe Biden wins 80,000, 900, yeah, 80,000, 90,000 American votes, I think the Republican Party is able to walk away and say, You mean, you mean 80 million? Ed, that's what I meant. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the Republican Party will. I think the Republican Party can still walk away and say, We got the second most votes. And yeah, we lost, but we didn't lose the Electoral College by that much. So, yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. But now I kind of want to, I want to play a clip from Kamala Harris's speech. Um, 
just kind of about the importance and empowerment of not only women, but black women. Mm -hmm. Here's the clip. And what a testament it is to Joe's character that he had the audacity to break one of the most substantial barriers that exists in our country and select a woman as his vice president. But while I may be the first woman in this office, I will not be the last. So what did you think about about that part of the speech, Terrell? You already know how much I love Kamala Harris. She could, She's great. She can speak whatever at this point. Um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I feel like it's exactly what was mentioned with Joe Biden of this was a moment. And it's hard not to understand and recognize that this is a moment. I mean, the last time I saw the um, the memes of here are all the white men who've been in a position and here's where we are now was Obama. And now we get to see it with Kamala Harris. And I think to Joe Biden, when he accepted the nomination for the Democratic Party, he was very transparent that he wanted to be a transition candidate. He recognized that this country can't move forward unless it has the same energetic young leaders that um, his generations and generations before had, like your John Lewis's, like um, your Ruth Bader Ginsburg's, your, your um, Jesse Jackson's, Al Sharpton's, all of all of these prominent figures. Um, he he don't he doesn't want to take that space for young folk and for for the future. But he does have this belief and vision that he can move in. And I think Kamala Harris's speech very much articulates that she she is not your traditional expectation for a politician. She's unapologetically black, went to an HBCU, is a part Mm -hmm. of a Divine Nine organization. Um, To those of our viewers who don't know who the Divine Nine is. uh, Yes. um, MPHC, our National Panhellenic Council with a hyphen in there. Um, it, it's your historically African-American fraternity and sorority organizations. And Kamala Harris is an alpha kappa alpha soar. Cool. Um, but I, I just think to all of that, I think her speech did such a great job of encapsulating that specifically the piece of, I might be the first, but I won't be the last. It almost calls me back to Obama and, uh, his ability to speak to who would have thought that uh, a black boy from the South side of Chicago with a weird name would be walking on the stage. It, it called me back to that piece of you don't have to fit the mold anymore. You don't have to yeah. be this idea of white passing or showing up in white spaces to, to get here. Mm-hmm. There's an opportunity. You know, you know, I just kind of, I just kind of felt like, when it was election day, like everyone was just kind of glued to like their browsers or their TV or the news or whatever they were watching. Us like, included. <laughs> oh yeah, I was definitely, um, you can doom scroll on Twitter, which I was doing, but I was also doom refreshing my browser over and over again. And I I was listening to Crooked Media's Pod Save America and John Lovett on there 
talked about something that <laughs> really stuck out to me because I realized I was doing the same thing is like, you didn't really realize the impact, like the actual like impact of the election, like in the heat of it. Mm-hmm. And then when you took a step back for a moment, you were like, holy shit, that's, that's right. That's why we are so glued to our TVs. It's not just about the numbers and who's voting and stuff. Like, like this is a huge election and the implications like extend far beyond yes. the individual votes that we get in whatever county, Iowa, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, we aren't talking about Iowa. They didn't show up. They don't. They aren't invited to the cookout right now. <laughs> nah. Nah. <laughs> Another thing that was mentioned, though, was I, I found myself realizing that, and this was also mentioned in that same episode, but I found myself realizing that Joe Biden got called and everyone starts celebrating and it's been a week of basically refreshing your browsers, all that stuff. And then you go, yes. Like, I mean, if you're rooting for Joe Biden, you're like, oh my gosh, like Joe Biden just won. This is so exciting. You're happy, whatnot. And then you're like, oh yeah. And like the first black woman ever got <laughs> is the vice president. Was it Politico? You, you almost forgot about it. Yeah. I think it, it was either Politico or um, the Atlantic. They did a really interesting article of, and I think this speaks to to our country extremely well too. Um, Kamala Harris didn't run as the first woman to get this position. She let news organizations highlight it, and they they did when the nomination or when she got tapped initially. But I, I think there was a recognition, and this might be inappropriate to assume, but I think there's a recognition and fear of. We saw what happened to Hillary Clinton when she ran with the uh, I'm with her. She leaned into her yeah. her um, gender. Kamala Harris did a great job of I'm going to lead with leadership. And I'm not going to speak on the gender issue outwardly until I got to that stage. And I, I could finally say that the glass ceiling broke, which. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, actually, now that I think about it, I don't think I don't think I remember anything being mentioned about like the history that could be made if they won since the convention mm-hmm. back in August. Yeah. Wow. It that's kind of wild. It slipped. I, I don't want to say it slipped. I think I think people recognized it, but and maybe this is just a, a Trump effect too. We can own that space, but there there was this specter if you will the donald trump effect as i mentioned that i feel like hovered so highly that there wasn't even an opportunity to own the fact yes this is now the oldest president we've ever had what does that mean blah 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 blah. and it it popped up but then it also disappeared there wasn't a moment to own the fact that not only are we not only is the vice president biracial they're also a, a woman what do all those aspects and representations mean and I do think that there's a there's a little bit to lean on from a, a Trumpian perspective of um, yeah this is this is who I am this is where I am. I just want to one last one last point that on this topic I something something um, I read I don't know a few months ago mm-hmm. was that if you're a Democrat. And you were just able to start voting in 2016 for president. 
you haven't voted for a ticket that hasn't had a woman on it. Mm-hmm. Like that's literally like my age group. I don't know. Is it? It's not yours, is it? Mm-hmm. It's yours too. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's right. You're only, you're only what two years older than me? Wow! I thought you were old. <laughs> Kidding. But the significance of that, like, I just think it's important for us to kind of take a step back and realize that that's like a fact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, are we ever gonna vote for a ticket that isn't just two white males? If we're at least on the Democratic side, <laughs> I don't know. Good caveat. I don't. I think it depends on how this, and again, I don't want to put pressure on that's them. That's a but big deal. I think it depends on how this administration goes. I think oh, absolutely. the same, it's the same pressure and, and anguish that Obama felt after his after his term ended of, I was as perfect as I could be in this country, still managed mm-hmm. to have a whiplash effect and go to the complete opposite. Not because I did anything wrong, not because I I... I failed to live up to the, this bar that is placed um, on all races. But because I was black yeah. and another party spent more time questioning if I was born in this country, calling me a socialist, making it seem like I was ruining all American ideals. Let's not forget that Trump uh, really paraded that birther argument. Helped start it. Mm-hmm. They pick that, and I, I think that same pressure falls on um, Kamala Harris, however we move forward. of um, She's going to do everything in her power to be as perfect as she can. And the only thing that determines if, if we never see an all-white ticket again is not her. It's does the country treat her, treat her the same way <laughs> it treats um, it, Obama. You know, I actually kind of... I actually want to kind of challenge that notion a little bit. Hmm. I think now that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have been elected, of course, pending lawsuits and stuff, although I'm quite sure that nothing is going to change. I would more say pending the the current occupant, just all all out saying that he's not leaving. But we'll get there later. Yeah, we'll figure that out (laughs) at some other other later date. We got, what, 75 days to do that or something like that? Let's not talk about it. I do want to challenge that notion, though, because what do you do? Do you does Joe Biden and Kamala Harris play it safe or do they do they pick the cabinet that they want? Do they push the things that they want? Like, what do you mean by perfect? Like, I know what you mean when it comes to Obama, but do the same rules apply now? Yes. But do you think that they should be followed? No, but I think there's no choice. Interesting. You're walking we'll, into. Uh, we'll get back to you on that in four years. I just mean you're walking into a house that Democrats lost more seats than they won. Their majority is severely weakened. A Senate that's still up in arms and at best can be a 50-50 split where all eyes are constantly going to be on um, Vice President-elect Harris and her deciding votes. Yep. It's more in a perfect scenario for her. It's more than being perfect (laughs) at that point that specter it's it's genuinely trying to find that balance between moving the country forward and not leaving people behind and i think where we are as a country right now there there is no perfect that because leaving the country behind means supporting um, equal marriage it means fighting for health care it means 
saying Black Lives Matter and, and doing racial justice, but not moving the country forward means not supporting those things. And I don't, I don't know what that pressure feels like. I don't know what that that movement forward looks like. But specifically for her, if the Democrats get their way, she's going to be the one who decides all of that, which means she's going to be the one who hears it every time. And let's not pretend like the birther issue hasn't already started for her. Granted, it got withered out by COVID and the, the White House becoming a hot spot and more questions about is Donald Trump saying, but the seed's already been planted for her to live the exact same life that the Obamas lived for eight years. And that's the just unfortunate truth of this country. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, what did I say? Uh, Donald Trump has just over or 82.1 million votes or 72.1. Why am I struggling? 72.1 <laughs> million votes. Like It's been a week in numbers. That that 72.1 million, not to paint a broad brush, but you can probably bet that a very large majority of them question, can she even be president if something were to happen to Joe Biden? Oh, for sure. Even though for sure she has a story about being in America, she has a birth certificate. She's all of these things that can can counteract it. But it's the fact that because she's brown, she has to show it versus a Joe Biden. Well, I, while I think you're right, I also wonder when it comes to like an American, Kamala Harris has a great story. Mm-hmm. And anyone who hasn't heard it should look it up. It's a pretty fantastic story, especially once she tells it. Mother's amazing. And while I do agree with you, I also wonder how much telling your story like that really does connect to people, especially on the other side, like the 72 million that voted for Trump with a media apparatus such as Fox News on the conservative side, constantly plugging other stuff in people's ears, which I think that might be a later question. But what what we're... See, I interesting... I think that, and, and this goes back to that kind of postmortem report, I... And maybe this is my optimism slowly showing, but I see hope in Fox News right now, which is bizarre and weird. Uh, But Fox News is just cementing its, it's just making sure that it's not going away. Exactly. And I think that matters. Well, I think it matters forward. But I also, like, I don't have hope about it. I just have, like, I'm just worried that it's staying. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's one of the most, most watched. And I think we can have a more robust conversation about news media and understanding opinion versus fact, blah, blah, blah. But I do, I do feel that specific to Fox news and and those, those populations that tend to watch it, there's an understanding right now that uh, they can't survive in a Trump's America during a Joe Biden term. They can't survive when, even though 72 million people voted for Trump, they can't survive in a time where they're calling Arizona and their party's lashing out against them and their viewership drops. They can't survive pandering to that Trump base anymore because that Trump base will no longer be the loudest voice. And um, sure, you can you can keep being that space. And I'm sure Tucker Carlson will not disappear at any point in time. But I do think 
the time spots that matter, the ones that'll pop up when whoever the press secretary is, is speaking. I think those individuals are, are going to be forced to look at the Chris Wallace's of Fox news, not the Tucker, um, yeah, Tucker Carlson's and really say, what does journalism look like if we're in this age? Because I, I do think that, yeah, uh, 72.1 million people, 0.2, wherever you want to go, million people voted for Donald Trump. So far. So far. But if we if we keep on this trajectory, if Georgia can be blue longer, um, if the blue wall is really rebuilt even. Um, I don't like the idea that it's rebuilt, even though. It's not. Wayne County it, is the only reason Michigan turned blue. <laughs> Wayne County, Pennsylvania is pretty close. Even Wisconsin is pretty close. I don't think Democrats don't win those states in the future. I just think that the notion that they're going to be blue forever now is wrong. Oh, no. I don't know if people are making that notion, but I, I just so. had quick thoughts on that. Anyways, go. Keep, yeah, no, I just saying. I just agree with all of that. <laughs> that was that's my point. I think the Fox News is. Yes, we have a lot of work to do, but I think the Fox News viewership and, and organization is in a space where it can't keep it can't be the trumpian space anymore there's mm-hmm. a there's the what one america whatever the other one that um yeah one american network something like that um trump tv yes that <laughs> that's space gonna be their competition that, after this exactly that space exists and if fox news wants to keep being able to say that they're the number one most watched they're this they're that they have to be closer to the CNNs and challenging their notion, not pandering to and challenging the one American notions that yeah. aren't based in fact. I mean, you... They can still be conservative, yes. but they don't have to be absolutely insane. Maybe you maybe you keep one of the Tucker Carlson's on. Probably. But you also... you Even though I very much dislike Tucker. You look at them now actively going against people that they've had on the show for the last four years, because they're saying that news media don't doesn't call projections. They don't do, they can't pick who the next president is. And you see this happening <laughs> more and more now of Fox News is recognizing they unleashed a, a beast. And now they're trying to figure out how to also contain it. And I think that challenge for them is what makes it a little bit easier for a Biden administration to find common ground, to share messages, to do certain things. Um, weird how capitalism works. Yeah. Anyways, sorry to interrupt you. No, no, that's, that's all I got. That's, that's (laughs) my hope. That's where I think it is. So before we move on, I, um, I wanted to get your reaction from one part of Biden's speech. As you know, in just the first 10 days of November, the U S has had more than 10 million cases of COVID. So here's the clip. On Monday, I will name a group of leading scientists and experts as transition advisors to help take the Biden-Harris COVID plan and convert it into an action blueprint that will start on January the 20th, 2021. So going to this election, you and I had a very insightful conversation around what would be the implications of this election because 
The Joe Biden campaign ran on COVID. They didn't do in-person canvassing. They they really focused Mm -hmm. on and built this COVID strategy. And I I have to concede that it works. Although I wonder if they would have done a lot better in some states if they had a ground game. I would I would agree, but that's neither here nor there. But you hear Joe Biden starting out and saying, "This is my number one priority." Do you think that? either his campaign feels like this was a a mandate that it worked and we're going to keep going with it. Or do you think that that really is a focus that needs to be uh, at the forefront of the next administration? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Look, look, I, whether it was an actual mandate or not, people are dying. Yeah. People are dying. Like it's that and climate change to me, right? Mm -hmm. Like those are existential threats and it's hard to focus on anything without getting the virus under control, which isn't that difficult if we had proper uh, messaging coming from the top. And by the top, I mean the president of the United States. So, yes, I think one of the first things Joe Biden should do, and I know he's going to do, is get this virus under control. Because even if he doesn't have the Senate, he can as yeah. the president of the United States. And that's going to be a really big deal. Um, <laughs> look, my reaction based off this clip was like, fucking good finally <laughs> like i want a group of scientists that know what they're talking about to <laughs> to be to be figuring out covid and how to keep us all safe and i just like i, I don't know it made me happy to hear that <laughs> and i just kind of have flashbacks of when trump dismantled what obama and biden literally put together still is into the executive about infectious diseases and pandemics. <laughs> pandemics and epidemics and all of them because of Ebola and swine flu and all that. And, and Trump tore it apart and look where we are now. Look where we are now. 220,000, more than that now, yeah. dead. 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 Do you think it was inappropriate, now that we know who's on the team, do you think it was inappropriate for Biden to select the whistleblower to serve as one of the scientists on the COVID task force. Like, do you, do you think it was just inappropriate to have someone who very starkly came out against the Trump administration, who clearly has some, some misgivings and kind of make them one of the centerfolds of it? Like, was it, was it inappropriate? Was it petty? All the things. Oh gosh. I don't know if it matters how we take it. Um, If that person was good at what they do and they're the appropriate person to be on a committee like that because we need to save people then i don't know if it matters if there was pettiness or not this is about people's lives this is about our american lives and so many people maybe even some listening to this podcast know someone who's i do not with them anymore my godfather died from covid oh my god i didn't know that end of may i'm sorry I, I, I mean, yes, it was a moment and it, it, I, on election day, I made a point to have a, um, out of office email, even though I was working that highlighted COVID because I know what that feels like. I also know the anger and frustration you have that you can't fly home to see your family because mm-hmm. it's a pandemic and Every state was shut down at that moment. 
so uh, yes, I I understand and I get it. And I uh, the whistleblower who's serving on the the task force um, was one of the chief individuals in the totally under control documentary in Hulu. So he's able to speak to exactly where things went wrong. I just I think because we've been so used to these last four years, I'm fearful that at some point that becomes a highlight of, well, Joe Biden is just doing this to to get one, to just get under Donald Trump's skin. And it it hinders the fact that we're finally making progress in the right direction. Well, I don't know. I'm also going to challenge you there a little bit. Um, I Even if the move is seen as petty in, let's say, the media, and I don't know if I can be all-encompassing a media here, so certain networks and or publications make a big deal about how petty it is. <laughs> I just think that like, at the end of the day, they can make a big deal out of that. But if we're saving lives and it's working, I don't think it really hinders progress. Mm-hmm. Like this, this pandemic is solely about saving people and figuring out why COVID is affecting people when they've already had it for so long. And figuring out how we can stop it. I don't know. To me, this is just so, I mean, maybe within the issue there's nuances, but to me, it's just such a black and white issue. Like, are we going to do nothing and let people die like we have been, or are we going to do something about it? And I, I just think the answer is so clearly do something that I don't care if Biden picked up someone who was, who, who whistle, blew the whistle, blew the whistle. (laughs) Like a freaking sports match against against. Uh, I was gonna reference the song, but that works too. Oh damn! That was... A little whistle. <laughs> Sorry, go. <laughs> um, I don't think it, to me it just. I don't care if Biden chooses someone, even if it was out of pettiness. If that person's gonna help save people's lives, then that person needs to be there. Yeah. So, and that right. person was in government before; they know how it works. Yeah. And so I, I, I think that's where I'm at. I think it's also relevant to break this conception that. Tackling COVID means ruining the economy. It's not true. It's just no. not. No, it's a misconception. The and gov- like the economy can't recover if it's always in fear that the pandemic's going to get worse. Exactly. The stock market lost what uh, five points when we started to curve again, just like that. Look, I mean, the yeah, that's true. I, the real issue here is. Well, obviously not containing the virus, but also the um, fact that there's only been one stimulus for like local businesses and half of it was taken by people who didn't wasn't, fucking need it. Wasn't even administered, right? And Exactly. There's so, That's terribly wrong in businesses. Look, look, like I get if you're upset about the economy, but I you're don't. exactly. I'll put that out there. I don't, but go for it yeah you know (laughs) i could see people who are in areas that aren't as affected being more about the economy and not understanding the the level from another perspective it it just really depends on what you're watching what your feed is sometimes Hmm. i also i just kind of sit here and i just think that i think you're right I think we need, I think, I don't think the economy ever fully recovers until we get the virus under control. But at the same time, it's like it, the economy wouldn't be so bad if we actually had more stimulus going through. Yeah. 
and we were still up we were upholding our promise to the american people with stimulus checks but also local businesses with loans that if they follow these these guidelines of how they're going to conduct their business in COVID era they don't have to pay back you sound like a big government guy and i don't know (laughs) people can get behind that look i'll be honest (laughs) i am a i'm a believer that government can do something to make people's lives better absolutely and like even if i was on the side of limited government there's just some special occasions that that you need government to step in and right now is one of them absolutely right now is one of them i don't disagree with any any point or perspective there and i i could (laughs) i'm frustrated that we can look as a country 360 degrees around us and see yeah, Germany's currently having a, a spike, and the UK just had to go back into um, uh, some lockdown protocol. But it wasn't for the same reason as us. It it was because they started loosening their restrictions and saw a spike, so they responded immediately. And yeah. we're this dumbass country in the middle of it all, literally watching other countries do what's appropriate other spaces do what's appropriate do what's appropriate and we're too busy fighting over whether or not wearing a mat a facial covering a face mask whatever you want to call it um is appropriate and it, i just there was a quote somewhere and i know I'm, i've become the man of quotes at this point but there's a, a <laughs> quote somewhere that um said this isn't the worst time in american history this is just the dumbest time in american history and i (laughs) i i lean on that so much because that's the truth and blame whoever you want i i personally will blame the president of the united states at this moment in time because he he made it a political issue for no reason but he could have sold so many masks and won re-election could have (laughs) he He, took it seriously he could have one states if he didn't decide to tell people that they need to liberate their state and threaten to kill governors. He could have done a lot of things that would have been better than what he did, but he didn't. <laughs> he could and have very easily won again, and, and it's, it's really on him that he didn't. It's all because we are living through the dumbest time in American history, and that's just the plain fact. It mm-hmm. We've moved out of this, this area, and this is a lean into Kellyanne Conway. We've le- we've moved past this area where facts and statistics and 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 rational thought are um, plausible, and we've moved into the space where facts can be challenged as opinions, and we have alternative facts that are also. And that's just where we're at. Like, yeah, ah, COVID's not that bad here, even though we're seeing cases go up. It. it we are living through the dumbest time in American history. That's all I got. <laughs> it's frustrating. It's ang- it's infuriating. And it's terrifying, too, because, again, this is the pessimist in me, but we saw governors, specifically the governor of Idaho, take a step to encourage more of a closure, do what he could, um, with his belief that government shouldn't overstep and he still received death threats 
And now the president-elect is going to work with governors across this country to try to get facial coverings, most of which the governors will probably say no because they're fearful for their lives. But also the new leader of the free world is purposefully sticking out his neck to save millions. Mm-hmm. And we're in such an idiotic time frame that he is in more risk by doing the right thing than by doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, Mitch McConnell and all the other people that I can throw under the bus right now, but I normally don't swear that much on this podcast specifically. So I'm going to calm myself before I talk about other people. It's okay. I've sworn a lot this episode. Apologies to anyone who doesn't like that. Um, (laughs) At least... At least it's a relatively good feeling to know that we're not talking about eight more years of this. We're talking about two months more of this. True. As of right now. As of right now. There's still... Which I'm not really worried about it at all, but we can dig into details in a week. We've never been here before. And that's all I can lean on is I know people are hopeful and people think that things are going to get better. But I, I lean on to living through the dumbest era in American history. There, Imagine we're on a plane. That plane is reality. I think there are a lot of people who are there who believe that at some point in time, Donald Trump is going to gonna concede or cave or he's going to let the Electoral College vote and then he's just going to accept reality. And we're just flying. We're flying in that plane. But the White House is not on the plane. The White House. Where's the White House? We don't know because it's that far <laughs> removed from reality. You have the Secretary of State saying that we're preparing for the second um, Trump term. You have the – now I'm going to start talking about Mitch McConnell and get really pissed. Um, (laughs) You have the current Senate Majority Leader, because we don't know who's going to be the next one. Um, Pray to God, not him. Um, You have the current Senate Majority Leader in his opening speech after the election saying that Donald J. Trump has the right to contest parts of the election. And if the Democrats didn't do anything with malice, they should not be concerned. These are direct threats to our democracy, to the the functionality of America in all of this time. And it is so removed from reality and so accepting of we're more willing to give this man all the tools he needs to demolish it versus standing up and saying, you lost, you fucking lost the election, you lost the states that you had to win, own it and walk your happy ass out of the fucking White House. Plainly put. (laughs) I told you I was going to get angry. (laughs) (laughs) So, Caleb, I have one last question. Ask away, Terrell. Why are you like this? That is not the question. (laughs) Well... Um, I I think we spoke a lot to where we see the Biden-Harris administration moving forward, the Biden administration, however you want to call it. What is is one thing that you're hopeful to see come out of these next four years specific to um, the administration and what they're planning to do moving forward? Can we put COVID aside for this one? Yes, 100%. we talked about COVID enough. Cool. Um, wow. I honestly, there's so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like immigration where we treat human beings like human beings. Do you really think we're going to get in? Sorry, I shouldn't cut you off. Well, I don't think we're going to separate families and put kids in cages. Fair. Um, like, obviously, like, there's so many things that I really want to see happen. I think that what might be really exciting about, especially if Democrats win the Senate, which what might be really exciting about a Biden-Harris administration is some real concerted efforts to do something about climate change. Mm. I'm really excited about that um, just because we're the ones that's going to be living with the consequences and we're hitting a point where it's almost a point of no return. Mm-hmm. And look, the younger generations, even even Republic, young Republicans believe that we need to do something about climate change. This is to me, this is not an issue. We got to do it. And I'm excited to see what Biden and Harris do about it especially if they have a, a Senate at their hands. Yeah. So I'm going to pull a U and Ooh. I'm going to, um, what you can't take mine. No, I'm not going to take that. I'm going to pull a U and give two instead of one. Not allowed Too late. only I can do that. Um, it's my brand. So my first one, which is like a, <laughs> it's my brand. <laughs> why are you like this? Um, my first one is I, and this is probably going to, anger any conservatives on the call sorry conservatives um but i i'm hopeful and i think that um people judge is going to have a space in this administration and yes congrats donald trump put somebody who was lgbtq plus in his administration what to do but they really they never really had a voice and they they didn't have in my personal opinion a prominent space. They were they were there. Congrats, but I don't think that there was ever a moment where people felt that 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 population and that space was was represented well and was able to be spoken to. And I I'm thoughtful and feel that Pete Buttigieg very much will have a space in there, even though I I don't agree with him on um, certain policies and still think he was a little over ambitious to run for president. I can't deny the the fact that Joe Biden's administration has the potential to represent what America looks like now, not what America looked like in the 1960s. And I, I'm hopeful for that. But my number two, which is a little bit more in depth, is. Um, so for those of y'all who don't know, um, buildbackbetter.com launched right after um, Joe Biden was projected to win um uh, the presidency and it's his, his transition website and he had a list of priorities one being climate change good. um covet response good economic recovery great but the one i'm most eager to to see happen is racial equity yes um i'm sure everyone listening has heard me talk about race and everything because it touches every aspect of my life but there's something about a campaign listing, uh, not even a campaign anymore, a transition team listing its priorities, laying out what it hopes to do, like reforming opportunity zones to f- fulfill their purpose, um, making a historic commitment to equalize um, federal procurements and 
and talking about housing and how to boost retirement security for black and brown folk, um, how to strengthen the Federal Reserve so it can close the racial the racial economic gap, how to put equity in um, infrastructure. Uh, there's something so profound. Yes. Profound, encouraging, and, uh, right <laughs> about not only is it is it a priority, but it's it it's in everything that they're speaking about. It's not just support black and brown folk. It's not just um, uh, help support our urban areas. It's having equity be at the forefront of our mind when we're talking about infrastructure. Having equity when we're we're choosing our the chairman of the Federal Reserve and we're having conversations with the Federal Reserve, having equity in, in the forefront of our mind when we're thinking about um, promotions and, and job placement in our administration, having equity at the forefront of our mind when we're talking about um, different social programs. It's embedding equity work in everything that is happening in our government. And I... I don't think it's ever been spoken to so blatantly, um, but even like addressing longstanding inequities in agriculture, there there is such an opportunity to bridge gaps that haven't been bridged in so long and, and own to the promise of all individuals, I won't say men in this space, but all individuals were created equal and um, whether Mitch McConnell wants to step in the way or not, everything that they listed can't be held by the Senate. And I'm, I'm just eager to see what that looks like coming out of the white house. Oh, I'm so excited for that. He even said it in a speech Mm -hmm. and just a reminder to everyone out there. um, Joe Biden may not have been your first choice or second (laughs) or second or third or fourth. I don't know. Um, Third. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) But at the end of the day, he's the most progressive candidate that's ever been elected president as of right now. By far. And I encourage all of you to take a look at what his platform was because there was some good stuff in there. Mm -hmm. Really good stuff. Um, I actually have one more to add. So I am sticking to my brand. But I'm also (sighs) really excited. Really excited Mm -hmm. that there will... uh, be a dog in the White House. Be a dog in the White I'm House. I'm glad I got to steal that from you, but also. <laughs> one of the, there's two dogs, yes. and one of them's a rescue, and it's the first rescue to ever be in the White House. And if anyone knows my family history, we have work. We have a lot of work that has been done to make sure animals basically have rights. Uh, shelters don't kill anim- animals um, in my family. So that was very cool and exciting to hear. Just kind of a little thing, but. It was kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, it's only fitting that the first president to not come from an Ivy League school um, is also the first president to bring in a rescue dog. Oh, a man of the people in the dogs. Am I right? <laughs> I only just said that for the dog part. <sighs> Regardless, like I said before, America is a country of both simultaneous sim- simultaneous hope and despair. And I think right now is arguably, while there's plenty of despair and problems that we need to solve, I think it's a moment of hope. 
Don't wear the rose glasses too long. I won't. <laughs> it's okay to it's okay to be happy, okay? Is it? Yes. What does that look like? <laughs> what is happiness? <laughs> I'm Caleb. I'm Terrell. And we're dangerously likely to see you next week.